To probably science. We are back in the backyard. It's an outdoor episode again. It's I think nighttime, uh, uh, dusk. Yeah, it's uh, it's twilight. Mm-hmm. This will be a twilight episode. Mm-hmm. Every themed. everything will be twilight themed. Uh, that's I'm Matt Kirshen. That was Andy Wood. I, I'm Andy Wood, who was almost an extra in Twilight. I've told that story on the Have show. You? Did I tell that story? I, I don't I know. I really wish there was someone who could. T- I don't want to repeat myself. Yeah, I just uh, I I got. They didn't want. They we wanted someone to be in the background surfing for some beach scene. Oh, I think you have told up. the story. Okay, forget it then. Yep, almost Twilight extra Andy Wood here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that that is the laughter and applause and near interjection of well, someone who's not been on the show, but we owe a debt of gratitude to because he did hook us up with his friend. Yeah, well, I remember. If you remember, we're going to be going back to Sketchfest uh, in San Francisco this. January, very excited about that. If you're in the Bay Area or anywhere nearby, please come along to our show. Um, but also, we did Sketchfest a couple of years ago. We did the Sleep ex- Expert episode with Dr. Matt Walker and right, right. Kurt Brownoller as our comedian guest. But thanks to our good friend, our guest here, Mr. Dan Van Kirk. Hello. We, uh, who's a fine comedian in his own right, we should point out. He's not just a It is a debatable, fixer. but I'm just happy to be part of the debate. He links people to people, and that's what I like about He's, him. <laughs> he is responsible for, I'm going to say, the biggest coup that we've ever had on this show. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest names in the podcasting world. I mean, like, Marin's obviously had a, a bomber, and there's been some biggies, but... Sure. A rock-solid, bona fide movie star, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Well, I was happy to help out with that. You were just able to get him yeah. to come and do five minutes and at the end of our show. He was very inquisitive about <laughs> sleep patterns and sleep paralysis, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Had a lot of very serious questions about sleep paralysis. Yeah. You should have jumped in. As, I don't know why we didn't get you on stage, because you were in the room, and then right. I couldn't see you. Suddenly, just <laughs> suddenly, Mark Wilberg had, was on stage, and I couldn't see Dan anywhere in the yeah, room. No, he ate something, I think, that disagreed with him, so mm-hmm. he, he was in the bathroom. So you had yeah. to leave, and yeah. then Mark, that just at that moment, of yeah. all times... That's when Mark Wahlberg showed. Yeah, he was, and he was great. I mean, it's Wahlberg, so yeah, yeah. yeah he's always top billing. <laughs> the top billing of life is what he's on. Uh, so welcome, thanks, buddy. Welcome in your own right. Thanks, as man. A, as a comedian, people should go back and listen to that episode if they if they missed it. It's one of my favorite it was episodes. Super interesting. Yeah, it that was, was. You guys probably run into this a lot, but that episode was one where. We could have talked to that guy about sleeping for another hour and a half. When he was confirmed as the guest, I really didn't know how it would go. I was like, all right, sleep expert, that seems fine. And then once we started asking questions, we just couldn't stop. Right. And he was so good. And I hadn't really given that much thought to how interesting sleep was as a concept. Yeah, everybody has their own way of doing it and how they do it. And how every organism, every living creature even down to bacteria have a period of their daily cycle where their metabolic rate slow yeah so mm-hmm. everything sleeps but it seems like the worst idea from an evolutionary point of view because it, it's a whole period of your day when you're utterly helpless and not finding food or a mate right and so it seems I like Wahlberg covered that i think yeah. he's, he's not ever vulnerable no 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 no, yeah. no he's always got a fist in the chamber <laughs> <laughs> but it but, also it was one he of those, was great he was so cool it was one of those times too i love these that um i'm not one of those comedians that feel this is probably a, a detriment but i'm not feel that people always need to be laughing sometimes yeah. you can just be entertaining totally and that audience was so wrapped like they were with us 
yeah. of just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about this too? You know what I mean? Yeah, that was yeah. that's a really fun episode. So that, yeah, check that out. If you, it was, I guess, approximately a hundred episodes back. It was episode one hundred and two. Yep. So that's still listed. I think the last hundred episodes show up in iTunes, but Ooh, you can always go farther back in our own uh, on our own site on probablyscience.com. You can always go back to episode one if you want to hear how it all started almost four years ago. Has it been that long? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, Dan, yes. we always ask our guests this before we get into any of the sure. stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? Well, I learned that I'm a practical science person. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But what I mean by that is I can't learn anything from a book or from hearing it. So much so that I... I'm really uh, nerdy about movies yeah. and, and, and seeing them. Like, I saw the Star Wars Force Awakens trailer one time, and then I'm like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. And then I, I've avoided everything else. And if I used to be in a movie theater, I would plug my ears and kind of, like, hum to myself to try and not hear. Because if I, I would remember too much until I eventually found out all I need to do is close my eyes. Because if you say something to me and I don't see you say it or it isn't interacted in some way, I don't remember it. And I'm the same way with science. So in high school, I took a class called Agriculture and Science, and it was all practical labs. Everything we would do, instead of being tested out in the, in the book, we would just have to do. Yeah. Um, and that is the best way that I learned. It was also the class where I did not pass up on the opportunity to go through the motions of artificially inseminating a cow. And so I got to go shoulder deep into a cow. Uh, and I have long arms. Dude. Wait, where, where is this again? This was my agriculture and science class in high school. In what state? Illinois. Illinois. Northern Illinois, Illinois. The heartland. And I remember I said to the other students who was like, no, there's no way. Because they said, does anybody want to do it? You can put your hand in it. The cow it doesn't bother the cow. The <laughs> cow's into the, it. Look how the, the cow's full... dressed. The cow is obviously asking for it. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's literally nothing they can do to stop you from putting it up. Was this a class? Was this really a class or was this just a club, like an after-school well, society? No, my neighbor said I was getting credit <laughs> for it. Um, Did you have the full arm-length glove? Yes, it's a full plastic thing. And I, I said, guys, when in your life will you ever get at this yeah. opportunity yeah. again? Because you're not going to get another time to say no to this. Right. So say yes today. Say yes to getting up in them cow guts. Yeah. yeah. And so I did it. That's, uh, so uh, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not a scholastically a super smart person like the two of you. I barely graduated high school. But, uh, did you I, get extra I have credit a, for being the one person willing to do that? Though? No. I did not get any. I just got the opportunity and the memory. And the cow and I have been together for 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> On and off. But... Um, yeah, no, so I'm uh but I, I do have a, a very hard core passion to pursue anything that like that interests me. Yeah. So whether that's scientific or not, uh I definitely will get into it. Something just has but to I'm, capture your imagination the way that a cow vagina does. Yeah, and maybe that's just photosynthesis. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so if you if you have to be visual, does that mean that you can't learn anything from a podcast? You know, here's the deal. I a lot of times will have to go back and re-listen to a part because I, I can so easily just tune it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost have to shut down any other sort of stimuli to be able to retain what I'm hearing. It helps a lot if I visualize what I'm hearing as well. Uh-huh. But yeah, if it that it is it is hard for me to do that. I'm better with like podcasts that center around stories if I'm just listening to it. Because I can visualize that whole yeah, thing. Yeah. 
But well, that's I think that's a known thing in memory anyway. That if you can put images sure, yes, together, completely. that's what those yeah, like, those people who are memory ex- names and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and those memory experts, the people who enter the who go for the records where they m- try and memorize ten decks of cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. The way they do that is they match images to certain pairings of cards or numbers or whatever it is right. they're trying to memorize, and then they construct a story that joins all those images mm-hmm. in a I've sequence. Ever tried to do, I've read one of those books, and I, I I've forgot the tricks, but if you can take the time and do it, you really, you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't hard at all. I just have to like dedicate some time up front to creating those pictures and the links between them, and then you can memorize some like unbelievably long thing. Or even numbers, like there's a, there's a way of assigning a phonetic value to every digit. Oh. Yeah. And then you either make words or oh, I forgot the methodology in this one book that I read. But I was like, oh, yeah, if I just put enough time in, I can memorize like an, almost any length of numbers. Well, how much now. do you there need are, that? Well, there are definitely phone that numbers much. that I remember from kids TV shows in the 80s. Really? From songs? So, yeah, just because they had a song that accompanied it right. to call in. and five eighty two three hundred Empire. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And that's a great song in its own right, but it's also a phone number. <laughs> and then there was this song that everyone everyone knows this number for eight six seven three two nine four, right? No, that is not that? the number. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Good, Paul, Andy, what? Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> yep. Uh, subtitled Julia was the song. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. No, not at all. So yeah, I don't. Uh, I have a hard time remembering stuff that I don't experience in a visceral form was there a class that you particularly enjoyed at school or or particularly didn't enjoy history because that's the same thing i had to treat it like it was a whole story but it's too long of a story yeah all, but all you, you break it up you just <laughs> break it up. yeah you just break it yeah. up um so yeah history if, if anything was the only one that i got interested in but i was such a bad student yeah this was my thing if i if i didn't feel like the teacher personally cared about the material and then also personally cared about whether or not I learned it. Mm-hmm. I I completely checked out. This, this is, went from like grade school all the way through college. This is a huge recurring theme through our show. Really? Whenever we've talked to any of our guests, it's nearly always come down to either a really passionate or a really dispassionate teacher. Yep. Is dispassionate the right antonym? Yeah. Um, is, is dispassionate the opposite of passionate? Uh Sure. It sounds right to me. Yeah. I think sounds it sounds a lot more it, right than unpassionate. It just means kind of like emotionless. Uh, no, no right? yeah, yeah. No, dispassionate is the wrong word. That does mean sort of rational and impartial, which is probably quite a good trait in a teacher. Mm. Uh, <laughs> apathetic is probably a better word. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, or careless or shitty. Shitty would also work. <laughs> Ap- to this day, apathy is still my number one thing that I can't stand in person. I'm fine but with that. Cynicism and no, good for you. <laughs> Cynicism and apathy. I just, oh, it's just like you, you have something you like, like something, be into something. Right, right, right. But I mean, it's it's okay to be a little bit cynical in 2015. With, We're all a little bit cynical. With the year that we've had, but like, like, don't make it your thing. Yeah. Like, I'm a cynical person. Like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate stop. That too. I can't yeah. stand that. Or comics whose whole persona is how, is how, how much they don't want to be there. Like that just rubs me yeah. so much. Like, well, then don't. There's other people that want to. Do, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's a great point. That is a solid, solid point. But, uh, but uh, speaking of cynicism, like, has twenty fifteen not been like? I don't want to be. It makes me feel old when I start to think that that things right now are actually a lot different and a lot worse than they used to be. But like, has this not been the most bonkers year, or at least the, like, the last few months? 
in in almost like every aspect of of culture and civilization or am I, am I just being I don't know. alarmist? Hard, I like, think it's hard to do that when we're right in the middle of it, but it does seem particularly weird it's right now. It's been a fucking crazy year. Yeah. Well, we've never... Every year, we're, every year we're at the highest point we've ever been in terms of, like, frenzied news cycle or, right, or, right. or everything seeming pressing. So, like, last year there wasn't as much of a saturation into your life of like everything that was happening all the time as there is this year. And next year there'll probably be even more. It's going to come down to like how much you as a person want to check out. So I will say that that's true, but I will also agree with you that it does seem like there are just so many crises. Yeah. There's constant crises. Like I just tweeted out the other day in a handbag. (laughs) And any person that knew that the first part of that is going yeah, yeah. to hell is fine. Is was then they were in on it. But there's a point at which Wait, it feels hand, like isn't it handbasket? No, going to hell on a handbag. I, ha- I, I would have guessed handbasket. Maybe well, there's two versions one. of the same thing. Either way, anyway, yeah, we're so going we get, the we're going same this. way. Yeah. We're going to the same place. It's just how how are you not cynical when uh, when the, <laughs> when Donald Trump is Donald Trump right now? Like I hate to Godwin Law this one, but he's yeah. gone full Nazi. <laughs> like, yeah. He's just gone. Well, this is what I said to somebody yesterday, and, you know, I love that we live in a country where I can say this, so it's okay if you disagree with me, anyone who's listening, or the two of you, but this is the first time, and maybe I'm just older, because people might have felt this a lot of other times, but this is the first time that I've really felt like there are people who cannot be our president. <laughs> like, they, that, they cannot be yeah. our president. And yeah. I know there's people who felt that way about Bush. I'm sure there's. I Republican definitely felt that way about Bush, that. but I. This is a different kind of thing. This where is like a everyone completely thinks right? different kind of right. maniac. Like and I'm Bush sure was, there's people who feel that way about Hillary, and I'm sure, like I'm sure there's people who have felt this way. But I'm a pretty, I'm an independent. Like I'm a, I'm, I tend to be a little fiscally conservative. I'm a completely socially liberal. So I, I'm a swing vote. I have been ever since I started voting. And this is the one time that I've really felt like. Oh, there are people who cannot, cannot be our president. Yeah. I found the Onion article, and it was, uh, this will be the end of Trump's campaign, says increasingly nervous man for seventh time this year. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it, I've got a bit, I've got, I've got a whole chunk about Trump now in my set, but it, one of the bits is about, I don't, th- I don't think Trump is going to win. I'm almost certain he's not going to win. Right. My main worry is how much he's normalizing right. other I think we've lunatics. said this a bunch of times, haven't we? Yeah, yeah I yeah. think so. Like, it's... Me- that's what scares me about yeah. Trump is he makes the likes of Ted Cruz and Rubio and Fiorina and Carson look mainstream. Like ben Carson also, I'll give him this, to a maybe lesser extent than Trump, which isn't still, that's not a big favor I'm doing him. Yeah. He also cannot be our president. Oh, oh no. Of course not. Right? No. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. That's, there's no way that would work. And now maybe he does a couple things that someone listening to this should say, I really agree with him on that fine there's there's a guy who works at jimmy john's who i agree with on some things (laughs) but he can't be president either that doesn't mean that he doesn't have one or two points where i'm like right on man but i like your platform buddy (laughs) i like your platform but i I said easy tomatoes like like (laughs) so i'm just saying like uh, you know you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but yeah, you know, you might like some of these people who I'm saying, but as a whole, you have to be like, yeah, but he can't be our president. He just can't. No, right? he just can't. And Cruz is an awful human being. Oh my god, uh, that video, the behind the scenes of 
the campaign video with oh, his family is hilarious. For some reason, they published all the outtakes. Where is that on E? Um, no, I'm just. It's a oh, long, <laughs> deep cut reference to how there used to be a show called Behind the Scenes on E. Never mind. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Back in the no, the whole days. family was on E. Though I was surprised. Oh, <laughs> no, they were. Oh, they were on it was E. Anti-drug, but like for that video, they just decided to just they're all lollipops and shit. Like, yeah, it was great. There was a rapidly increasing petition. Uh, to block Donald Trump from UK entry on the grounds of having said, on, on the basis of hate speech. I didn't even, can you actually ban a citizen, like a, oh, just you, a person? No, you absolutely can. And they ha- there's a history in the past of them doing it with certain people who who the Home Office have decided are uh, sufficiently... Didn't they do that to Alice Cooper? I They might have done. I mean, there's certainly been cases like that of artists in the past, but it's generally applied for yeah. things like hate preachers sure. and extreme yeah uh um <laughs> extreme bigots and the like and this petition is now up to 25,000 signatures Damn. um over 10,000 signatures which it's comfortably done today it means that the government has to officially respond to it yeah yeah and at 100,000 signatures which it may well reach because it's already jumped up a quarter of that in a single day the petition will be considered for debate in parliament. Whoa. Man. Did they try, am I crazy, or did they try to do something like that for Bush, or at least like call him a war criminal? Or is, I, I'm sure that there have been cases like that, and there's always been cases, I can't remember, one of the European countries indicted Netanyahu on the grounds of war crimes. Yeah. And obviously then the Israeli government condemns that statement, and then it goes no further. It just becomes, It's just sort of diplomatic batting around. Yeah. Hmm. I'd love to hear Trump's response to this because I bet he'd be like, "What about the First Amendment?" We'd be like, "Yeah, it's a different country." So yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not even going to go there. Um, there was a lot. I'm, I'm not generally a fan of Gawker, and they've done some shitty things in the past. But there was a lovely Gawker headline because um, again, uh, Obama gave his speech where he said Muslims are. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, paraphrasing, yeah. but it's like our our friends, our sure. care workers, our doctors, our teachers, our sports heroes. And Trump came out saying, "Well, who are?" The name Muslim sports heroes and Gorka had the headline, uh, show me one Muslim sports hero, says recipient to the 1996 Muhammad Ali Award. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, exactly. <laughs> and picture of him next to Muhammad Ali. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. And he has properties in Dubai. He has whole... Uh, I, I'm guessing it was 96. It might not have been that year. But <laughs> it's, way, the point is... The if point it's not 96, right, I don't right. appreciate the joke. But the point... Uh, and he has... He has Estates in various Muslim countries. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't disagree with you, Andy. I think this might be the most absurd slash scary time that we've been around. And not even just politically, just all the things that are going down. It's and it's just weird. Like, it's I a, think that's the thing. It's that's so weird. It's been a weird. There's year. been scarier times, I think, to be around. The Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. for example, and obviously the big wars in the past, which were well before our lifetimes. But mm-hmm. um, but at least they were. But they were rationally awful. Yeah. They were horrible and far worse than the times we're living through right now and far more scary and and the world in general is in far more peril. But at least... But you cannot... It it makes sense in a way... Maybe it doesn't. Maybe if you were living through Nazi Germany, like, what is this guy and how has this happened? Yeah. Then you'd be equally... I don't know. I don't know. I just keep trying to find some... baseline reason why things are the way they are this year and if it is all kind of related to technology and communication just becoming expedited for better and for worse so everything can get escalated and can happen faster and 
you know, ISIS can recruit online right. and uh, someone yeah. like Trump can rise because and people I, are able to like be in an echo chamber online with their own friends who right. have their even, own weird... Even those like, things that, those stories where Seinfeld comes out and goes, ah, oh, you can't, can't do comedy in colleges anymore because they can't take any jokes. And that, Which, by the way, I think is utter bullshit. I think colleges have always had the same balance of, um, of being sensitive and being unsensitive. And I think... In general, it's just that the world has moved on and standards for what is and isn't acceptable have mm-hmm. changed and people who are of a certain age miss those changes. Um, I have but a however, theory, but, but, but I But I think one of the main... The thing that is different is if someone does say something that crosses a group of people's boundaries or lines that can whip around the world in a way that it never would have been. It used to be localized. Right. A few people were upset and would have written to the person who books the gigs and it would have got back to the agents. Right. Whereas now it blows up on social media for a day and a half. Well, just everybody has to have an instant take on everything and that's not how good information is transferred on any subject. Like, that's definitely a thing. in San Bernardino. Like, everybody online, all of our friends, you just watch them eat their words every day and try to, like, spin backwards on what they were saying and, like, I hope it... Wait, it's awake. I hope it's terrorism. No, now I hope it's not. Wait, which thing do right. I hope it's called now? Well, we're, our, uh, society was, is also, uh, our society is also outrage obsessed. Yeah. It's outrage. Obsessed with it. That's, that's more as, than PC culture is. Right. Uh, it's a different beast. It's, yeah, no, it's as soon yeah. as we can have something to like glom onto yeah. to be like, this is how mad I am about that. And don't you don't even need all the facts. Right. We have a, we all have a mutual friend who's a comedian, uh, who I'm not going to say don't, because don't, I'm, I'm going to uh, say that a mistake that I feel they made, but they, they came out when the George Zimmerman thing happened. Right. And he was found not guilty. Yeah. And all they tweeted now completely justified in the outrage that they felt. But what they tweeted was somebody was like, uh, they said something and then someone said, it's a lot more complicated than that. And then their response was, and this is a person who a peer of ours who uh, I assume much like me, we all respect, um, said a white guy, shot a little kid what else is there to know now in that scenario that is horrible and what happened was horrible yeah however there's a lot more to know he's (laughs) he's not white he's half uh, hispanic and also little kid could be like a seven-year-old and we're talking about like a 14 or 15 year old which is different than what you're saying but that just one sentence is enough right. to give you so much outrage, right, right. which doesn't need to take in any of the actual facts, which also may make you outraged. Don't get me wrong by by any means. Yeah. But it's just the ability to just be like, oh, I know just enough about this I, thing yeah, to exactly. say how mad I am. And I'll worry later. And what happens is, is if you see enough of that and you also aren't informed, you get into like a chicken little feeling of yeah. like the sky is completely falling. And what I was saying also about our current country and like feeling like there's so much craziness going on i wonder if you know right now a big issue that we have is is the police related shootings and how many like um young african-american men and some women are being shot uh or, or injured or killed um by the police do you think 30 years ago you would hear about all these instances enough to feel like we have a problem in our entire country or would you just hear about one or two of the instances and feel like that was bad hopefully because you're a good person but really the way it is now like you see what's going on in new york and st louis and in uh, houston and in florida how they were but they're when or they may not but when bad things happen they're being communicated more effectively well here's the other side of that and that is that when it comes to things like mass shootings and i think terrorist attacks the sheer extent of the media and the way things can blow up 
actually is proven to exacerbate yeah, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. of like, course. Mass killings are just like the suicides come in spates if the press are bad at not dealing with it. Sure. It's a, it's a known thing that if a, if a suicide happens in a town and rather than treating it as a small localized tragedy and handling it deftly right. and, and carefully and explaining ha- what's going on, they do things like talk about the method by which it happened and mm-hmm. glamorize and mythologize the person who did it, then you'll get copycats within a short space right. of time. And the same is known to happen with mass killings. And it might where- even be that the San Bernardino one is is not an actual... Oh, it sounds like it's not like orders from ISIS, but sort of self-radicalized. And it sounds like the guy was having yeah. fights with a coworker about politics and religion, probably in the wake of the Paris attacks. It's but like- then they see how the Paris <laughs> yeah. attack um, gets... Uh, dominates the news cycle for yeah. um, half a month, right? And it's and again, the people who committed it are built up as these anti-heroes and you know the big movie villain, and yep. it, you see hours of footage and it, everything happening, and you go, "Well, shit, we could make just as big a splash." Right? It's that's with the thing that with, if you're already on the edge, that's the thing that tips you over. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny because like you think about that. Like, how many school shootings can be directly related to Columbine? Because Columbine happened. And there was some before. Don't get me wrong. Right, but that but showed like, the impact 25 years have. ago, people just weren't shooting up schools. And so uh, it's like... Is that definitely true? It, at the rate at which it's happened in the last 20 years? I don't think so. Yeah. And then you wonder why... Uh, well... Is that really just like a media thing? And I think it might be because. But how do you even get out of that cycle? It's impossible because media. Well, you've is, already. Media it's already. Is, oh, that was his revenue. Yeah. There was an amazing. You can't unring by, a bell. It's also driven by eyeballs on things. So, like, why would the media ever, if they know it's going to get people to watch and listen, if they talk about this, yep. why would they ever stop reporting on it? It's 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 impossible. How about CNN to, going through that San Bernardino people, their apartment? It's like so, Nightcrawler, yeah. the movie yes, Nightcrawler. It yes, just yes, felt yes, like that. It was like, yeah. yeah, and it was like. Man, they're just like rummaging through these people's house. Animals, just yeah, yeah. And for what? What news was gathered from that? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think the news that was gathered there was that they got into that house before MSNBC <laughs> or Fox got in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then what they said was, for the first time ever, a news place was trying to brag about how it wasn't the first or something like, oh no, we were the second. Like, we were, like, <laughs> yeah. Someone already, someone already did this, yeah. so now it's fine for us to be in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and then combined with this idea that every opinion carries equal weight and every opinion that's, is equally valid, which I think is a big problem. That's what I think is more when when Seinfeld's talking about PC culture, he's using the wrong term. Like PC has all this loaded, whether or not it even exists, or whether it was an invention of like right wing think tanks twenty five years ago, to, like, as a thing to react to. Well, the core, I, but like, the core belief of political correctness, I am a hundred percent on board with but I'm even, even the word, even though even the wording i think was not a yeah. creation of of people that are advocates of it but was created by the enemies of it to make it seem like there's a suppressive force from the left right but what i'm saying is whatever that was 25 years ago that everyone was talking about this is a different beast and it's all about individual wrongness like everyone wants everyone wants to be heard obviously we have a fucking podcast everyone's online mm-hmm. and you've been told you don't have the right to a voice unless you can prove that you're allied with if you're either wronged or allied with a group that's wronged. So well, everyone's trying to prove that they're, they're victim bona fides so they can be allowed. So it's like James Dean, like all these dudes, like the most vocal feminist dudes online are always the secret rapists. You know what I mean? Like seriously, like dudes I know up in Portland who were like, yeah, yeah, they always I mean, You should hear how much like, I talk bad about macaroni and cheese. I love macaroni and cheese. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, they just want the, the, the coolness of whatever, not coolness, but they want to, if, if they say they're an ally of feminism, then, they, then they're allowed to have a voice. Yeah. Whether or not they are. And they're actually right. secretly, you know, abusers and like, it's just, that, but also, that's what it is. It's can a I personal... say though that I think the difference is you, you lumped yourself into that by saying we have a podcast, but you guys aren't doing the type of show. And I would dare to say that most of the people that we cohort with and are friends with aren't doing this type of thing either. You're not, um, you're creating discussion whether that's about science and it's fun or it's something that's really happening in the world and you're just with friends and you want to like talk about yeah. this shit there's microphones and phones but we're doing a discussion none of us are like telling anyone how to think or live their lives or what's wrong with them or what's wrong with something else sometimes get a bit dogmatic yeah. <laughs> i think um but then again yeah, this but goes you to would an still discuss that with yeah. people like you wouldn't like fight someone because they disagreed with you you wouldn't condemn someone but because they But i wouldn't like someone shutting me down and saying i don't i'm not allowed to have a voice because of privilege sure i wouldn't like that Sure. And I think that that's what begets uh, people trying to find ways that they are wronged by parts of culture so they can then be, oh, now I'm allowed to speak because I've been wronged by Seinfeld's comedy or by whatever else. So I don't think it's like PC movement doing a thing. I think it's every individual wanting to take things personally and mm-hmm. emotionally in general in our culture is my is my theory. Well, I, th- my, I think my to me the bigger problem is just is this the idea that everyone, every voice is equally valid and every opinion is equally right, added, right. then seeps into this, getting back to our show and getting back to science, and this is something that comes up all the time. Part of the problem with the media, with the narrative on the likes of climate change or evolution or vaccines is this ridiculous idea that the even the mainstream media has that every story has to have a point-counterpoint right. and they should be given equal yeah. validity. Yeah. So if they do a vaccine story, they still feel, even the mainstream outlets still feel like they have to bring on some crank who's lying about the risks of vaccine and spreading bullshit, public harm, uh, producing information. Yeah. Uh, because, oh, it's just in the interest of balance. So, like, you, should we even be arguing about climate change? No. Right? No, there's there's utterly, there's, there are a few, the only argument in in the, scientific world like i don't by the scientific world i mean actual proper scientists who work within those fields because normally if they even do find some scientists who's willing to say otherwise it's you find out that their speciality is not actually in the right in the right field the only disagreements in the scientific fields about climate change are the specific mechanisms and the rates and the details sure which is what happens in science 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 is a consensus and there's constant tweaking and battling and and different ideas of mechanisms and different ideas of different theories but the fundamental idea that the world is heating up over a period of time and humans are the cause of it and it's going to be a problem that fundamental concept is utterly unambiguously Right, decided on by all of yeah so you can have all reasonable you can have two types of arguments scientifically if you want one is, what's the rate at which our climate is changing? What could be done? What's the best course of measure to yeah. prevent uh, a more uh, uh, fastidious and what are the change? Sp- right? And what are the specific mechanisms? All, all of these things right. are there for debate and are constantly being studied sure. and analyzed. And then the other debated. argument you could have, if you want, is do you care? Right. Right. And that right. neither one is the argument of whether or not it's happening. Yeah. But we, you can either have one about what can we do, because this is happening, yeah. or 
do you care? Well, some of the climate Why don't they just come out because I mean, it's possible that you have a worldview yeah. where that's just not high priority for you. Right? Well, that's that's possible. That's right? not you like the yeah, You'd be like yeah, the like... senator from Wisconsin. Climate change is happening. Do you care? I do not care. Like, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't that be just refreshing? Rather than them trying to act like it's not happening, be like, I don't care. Right. Subtly, that kind of is one of the arguments. Um, we've mentioned this before. There's a very good documentary called Merchants of Doubt that. Yeah talks to and they're really open about it but talks to the people who are both the scientists and i use that relatively loosely and lobbyists who are involved in the climate argument and it shows how not only do they use many of the same arguments but often they're the same people who are behind the cigarette lobby Mm. a couple of decades earlier and it's the same playbook um and it's just about slowing the process and casting doubt and throwing up questions right rather than but one of the things they do now is not just to question the science, but to question the economics and the, sort of the macroeconomics yeah, of it yeah, yeah. and the societal impact. And so now they're saying, well, we do believe that the climate is changing in certain ways, but, it's not but, but the impact on the world and the impact on our, on our population, if we were to do these things that these scientists are telling us, well, that would actually slow down the rate at which our country is progressing and cause more harm to these people. That's that's the new argument. Okay. They're going like, well, if we the slow down, cost of, yeah. yeah, if we slow down manufacturing, then we're going to throw these people into poverty, poverty and it's going to, uh, which, yeah, yeah, and again, it's it's just more about throwing more and more doubt into the system and just slowing the process. The same way they did with cigarettes, where they just. They, they, I think they know it's a losing battle, but right. the, the more they can stretch it out, the more they can drag their heels, the more confusion they can throw into it, the more profits they'll make before yeah, they you know, lose. Cigarettes, yeah, yeah. Everyone smoking knows what it's yeah. going to do to you. And cigarettes still you exist. Just, your job, if you don't sell cigarettes, is to just get them to not care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But for a while, it was to get them to not know. Right. For now it's just to get them to not care. Yeah. Smoke, everything fun happens while you're smoking. And now they took... Which is true. I mean, I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, we have a perfect transition into a first story. Oh, sorry. I didn't think we were going to find one, but um, so (laughs) speaking of everything bullshit, um, acceptance of profound sounding bullshit is linked to lower intelligence. (laughs) What? Yeah, this is a great... I I love the... the, the actual verbiage used in the official write-up of this of this the people uh, who accept study bullshit um because i would believe that that makes them less intelligent well it's uh let's see so there was there was a paper an academic paper that used the word bullshit a record-breaking 200 times um like a tarantino movie yeah gordon penny cook a phd candidate from the university of waterloo in ontario canada used a website to randomly generate profound sounding phrases to demonstrate the ease of creating bullshit (laughs) things like Healing is the growth of hope and of us. We vibrate, we exist, we are reborn, uh, was the phrase that we were greeted with upon visiting the homepage. And uh, Penny Cook and a team of researchers recruited 300 test subjects to rate the profundity of those randomly generated bullshit phrases on a relatively arbitrary scale of one to five. On average, the sentences were rated 2.6, suggesting that the quotes were halfway between somewhat profound and fairly profound. Uh, More pressingly, 27% of participants gave an average score of 3.0 or more. This meant that over a quarter of the participants felt the meaningless phrases were profound or very profound. In a second test, these participants were shown real-life examples of bullshit phrases. They were asked to read and rate the profundity of tweets composed by New Age spiritualist, spiritualist Deepak Chopra, who famously causes physicist angst by borrowing terminology from quantum mechanics and using it in a hugely erroneous way. 
and uh, biologists also hate him for similar reasons. Um, <laughs> unsurprisingly, when his tweets were mixed in with the computer-generated bullshit aphorisms, the average ratings were very similar to the first test, suggesting that randomly generated and human-made bullshit are essentially indistinguishable. And then a final test asked the people to rate both mundane statements and well-known, quote, profound statements. As expected, the mundane ones were not rated highly, and the popular inspiration quotes like the example they gave was a wet person does not fear the rain were considered profound and uh when individual results were compared with the person's measured numeracy skills verbal intelligence religious beliefs and ability to distinguish between a metaphorical and a literal statement a fairly clear pattern was revealed those who are more likely to believe outlandish conspiracy theories those that think alternative medicine is effective those with a strong belief in the paranormal and those that confuse metaphors for factual pieces of information were found to not be the most analytical or intelligent people and the paper concludes with a meaningful and perhaps slightly profound statement. One benefit of gaining a better understanding of how we reject others' bullshit is that it may teach us to be more aware of our own bullshit. Um, Carl Sagan, who once explained how he picked up on, a, on pseudoscientific nonsense using the fine art of baloney, detect baloney detection, uh, would have likely loved this piece of research. And the actual paper has so many more great, like, randomly generated, meaningless phrases that would sound profound if you're dumb it's by, awesome. by the way a wet person doesn't fear does not fear the rain i haven't heard that is but also not i've been in a swimming pool and it started to rain and i've got colder i've not why like, what what were you doing and that's when you, you stood outside uh, no, when you're in my world pool. if it starts raining and you're in a pool you start pretending it's rambo <laughs> that's what i welcome <laughs> bring on the rain um a wet person does not fear the rain i haven't heard that either I'm, I'm bringing the up the actual PDF um, to show some of the uh, examples. Um, uh, hidden meaning transforms unparalleled abstract beauty. <laughs> that I sounds just, like bullshit. I just found out along these lines about this guy, and I don't know how I hadn't encountered him yet. I'm I, Actually, it's to the credit of my friends that I hadn't. Uh, David Avocado Wolf. Are you familiar with this asshole? Mm -mm. So he is... His entire... He's a pseudoscience, bullshit-generating human being, but also someone who's managed to monetize it and, pro and you know, by endorsing products and selling bullshit. But his method mainly is to share inspirational and happy-sounding memes on Facebook to build up a huge Facebook profile. Okay, like the fat Jew. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of. Like or the inspirational fat Jew. Yeah, or or like um, Britain First is the other thing which is a britain first is a is an extreme right-wing group they're an offshoot of the national front they're basically the kind of fascists who go around in balaclavas trying to attack people who gotcha. aren't white really horrible human beings but they have this huge facebook profile because they realized a while ago if they share just sort of patriotic and pro-soldier mm -hmm. and pro-britain mm -hmm. sounding things just memes and they hide their fascism people just start going oh i like this i like this picture of princess diana with an inspirational quote and now they have this huge facebook profile for a hate group and he seems like the pseudoscience version of that i've okay. just discovered him uh, a friend a, a couple of friends of mine were tweeting links to these stories of this is who this guy is now be aware of him and get rid of him from your life and he just <laughs> and he yeah he will tweet I'll see if I can find some of this nonsense that he's. Uh, well, you're because looking, also I, he he then sneaks in like anti-vaccine and anti. Yeah. 
Uh, while you're doing that, I'm just going to read a passage just to show the kind of verbiage in the actual academic paper that I love. Uh, whereas, philos- well, whereas philosophers have been primarily concerned with the goals and intentions of the bullshitter, we are interested in the factors that predispose one to become or to resist becoming a bullshitty. <laughs> Moreover, this sort of bullshit, which we refer to here as pseudo-profound bullshit, maybe maybe one of many different types. We focus on pseudo-profound bullshit because it represents a rather extreme point on what could be considered a spectrum of bullshit. And this is like a 20-page paper. <laughs> it's amazing. Um. David, here's an, a David Wolf uh, meme. Uh, drugs cure disease like bullets cure war. There is always a natural alternative. There's <laughs> a picture of someone holding a bowl with a pestle and mortar of with course, a plant in course. it. Some ground up grains. But yeah. isn't, aren't those things true? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. Drugs do cure disease. No, he's saying they don't because bullets oh, yeah. also don't stop. Or wait, which thing's not? Hold on. What are you asking? Well... We needed a lot of bullets for World War Two. Oh, I think well the, the hippie version of that. <laughs> right, I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying, I'm like, what? I, I'm online with both of those things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of that, uh, have you guys watched any of the Man in the High Castle? Uh, oh, but is no, it good? I, I don't know. The first episode's not the best. Really? Hey, did yeah. you know? Sorry to interrupt, but before you get into the Man in the High Castle, no, did no, you know don't. that chocolate lines up planetarily with the sun, <laughs> and chocolate is an octave of sun energy. Is that from... Uh, that is from David Avocado Wolf. I call him D-A-Dub. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, of course, we'll link to all these stories on probablyscience.com and in the show notes. In If you're listening on your phone, you just click on our faces. You can see clickable links for all these stories. Hey, should we do a space story? Because I kind of like yes. this one. Yes. Is it the one with the... Yes. Whatever it is. Yes. Yeah, is this the one about the moon's two sides yeah, that Jake is, Young sent in? I can't believe I never knew about this. I didn't know about this either. I was very I happy to know about believe, this. What do, you, what do you know about the far side of the moon? Like the Transformers movie with Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> it's uh, the dark Mark side here? of the moon. No, there is no dark side of the moon. There's a far side because all sides eventually get light over the course of its... Right. But, there's a, but it's in tidal lock with us, so we're always seeing the same side of it. So there's a side right, that's far right. away. We it's, never see it's from getting Earth. its side of the moon, but we never see that side. Right. That side does get sunlight, right, but we right. never see that far side. Have you ever seen a picture of that side of the moon? No. Do you want to see a picture of that side of is the moon? Is there another man in it? This is what we see. This is the moon we see. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Get ready for your fucking mind to be blown. This is what the. No, wait, sorry. God dang it. This is what the back of the moon looks like. Nothing. Isn't that. Isn't that notably a ton different looking than, than... Now, wait. Is that different? Is the backside different because it catches a lot more space debris than we do? Part of the story that we're talking about right now. But isn't that crazy? Look so, at look at all these different... Yeah, the, the outside of the moon is relatively smooth by moon standards. Right. And the far side is incredibly cratered and... Like there are those giant seas that's on the, our that's side the, of the Yeah, that's the shrapnel side. It's the... Well, it's part of the... Matt, do you want to... Yeah, well, so the, this is the... The belief in Matt Kirshen, that's his name. Yeah. <laughs> Just halfway through a show, somebody remembers one of you. Uh, Sorry, I don't know why that struck me. <laughs> um, so the same side of the moon always faces us, but different portions of the lunar hemisphere get illuminated through the month, depending on the relative positions of the Earth, Moon, and Sun. Uh, and in addition, because the um, uh, the moon's orbit is elliptical, moving faster when it's closest to Earth and slowest when it's farthest away. The face of the moon that's visible changes ever so slightly, a phenomenon known as l- lunar libration. Which, did you watch that video of it? 
no, I didn't. It's really cool. I never, I never knew that that, that we're seeing a slightly different. It's a time lapse view of all the different parts of the moon we see over the course um, of its cycle. But even though this means over the course of many months we could see up to a total of fifty nine percent of the moon. Uh, it wasn't until 55 years ago when the Soviet spacecraft Luna 3 swung around to the far side of the moon that we were able to see 100% of the surface. Um, and, yeah, it's it's much different. It's it's just covered no, in craters. Yeah, there's no seas. There's no dark maria. And, yeah, it's, and, like, it's like a section of Edward James Olmos' no, face. No, Eddie what? J. Um, so this was first discovered in 1959, but it took a lot longer to come up with a reason for this mystery. Uh... As to why it looks different? Yeah, so yeah. there's an obvious... I feel like we just figured well, it out. Well, no, that's the, we'll get to that. Yeah, okay. so the, obvi- the first thing that people would think would be, well, the solar system's full of comets and asteroids, and they occasionally hit the moon, um, and they'd cause craters. So the obvious explanation would be that when these space rocks travel to the moon from the far side, there's nothing getting in the way. But when you approach the moon from the near side, the Earth is in the way, and that can either absorb these impacts or gravitationally deflect them. Uh, so that's, you know, that's what you might think, but the fact is the Earth-Moon distance is about 30 times larger than the diameter of the Earth, which means that the difference in the number of impacts on the near side of the Moon from the far side should be less than 1%. Like, uh, we're not really doing much to shade it, basically. Yeah, but we're talking like about all of time. I know, but no, all like, of our but time, But most anyway. of the time, even when uh, the Moon would be on the... Like, if, if you're saying that there's, like, debris coming from one direction or sure. something... The band. Then, uh, then yeah. like the time when the moon is is between us and the debris, um, it gets hit. But then the time when it's opposite, it's still exposed because it's it's the moon is thirty times as far away from Earth right. as Earth's diameter. That's, so you, that's really so far. So we're not blocking yeah. it at all. Really. Yeah. Like, so you would expect from that to be a difference, but nowhere near as remarkable a difference as we see. True. So, um, so there is a reason, uh, according to this article in Forbes. And it does have something to do with space collisions, but in a different way. Um, you might think that the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs was a big one, and compared to the other collisions that have happened in the past 100 million years, it was um, roughly 5 to 10 kilometers across. That mass extinction-causing asteroid was the size of a very large mountain. But it's not the largest collision in Earth's history by a long shot. We didn't even realize this until they brought rocks back from the moon and discovered that they're made of exactly the same stuff as Earth is made of. So this was a big surprise because no other moon or planet companions in the solar system, not Jupiter and its moons or Mars and its moons or Saturn and its moons are like that. Uh, but Earth is. Earth and its moon are made of the same stuff. So about 4.5 billion years ago, when the solar system was still in its infancy, the Earth was mostly formed and was around 90 to 96% of its current mass. But there was another very large Mars-sized planetoid that was in almost the same orbit as Earth's. And for tens of millions of years, they sort of wobbled around each other in various orbits. And finally, they collided with one another. And the vast majority of both protoplanets wound up forming the Earth, while a large amount of debris was kicked up into space. Over time, this debris uh, coalesced gravitationally to form the moon. So this sounded crazy when it was proposed in 1960, but it's come to be the accepted theory, verified by various observable phenomena that match the predictions over the last 40 years. So this collision happened very early in the solar system's history, and the Earth was still really hot when it happened. Uh, around, uh, it says around 2,700 Kelvin, which is around 2,400 centigrade. What would that be in Fahrenheit? Uh, it would take too long. It's super hot. Super hot. Super hot. Very, very hot. Like, really hot. <laughs> yeah, really, really hot. 
like uh, many times hotter than the temperature that water boils at. Yeah. The whole earth was, the whole earth was at. Like the temperature that metal and rocks and stuff are boiling sure, at. Sure, sure. Uh, hang on, let's see if we can work. I can do this now. You can do uh, it? Well, my computer's running very slowly. 4,400 degrees Fahrenheit. There we go. You don't want to touch that. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got this huge, incredibly hot rock, and the moon might have been closer, but it was still tens of thousands of kilometers away. But even so, having that extra heat source close by and having the moon already be tidally locked to us, so that means one side's already facing it, yep. always facing us, that's what the moon does, means that the near side of the moon was going to be much hotter for a longer time than the far side would be because it's still being heated by yeah. this heat source that's the Earth. So the the marrier that it's we like see... like a kiln. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. So it's like this... So the moon is constantly orbiting and it's coalescing from various rocks. It's coalescing in space, but it's next to this huge, very hot thing. So the evidence of these lava flows where molten rock flowed into the Great Basins uh, are what we see on the near side of the moon. The far side cooled relatively quickly and formed a thick crust. The temperature gradient caused by being enclosed... Um, but then the liquid state, so the uh, near side stayed in the liquid state for longer, which gave it a lot less time to have the effect of impacts leaving features on the surface. So uh, meteors were hitting the moon constantly on both sides at roughly the same rate with a minor difference. But for a lot longer time on the near side, the side that we can see, it was landing in molten rock and just disappearing. Whereas on the far side, it was already solid and it was forming craters. Um... And it was only in June this year that a study by Arpita Roy, uh, Jason Wright, and Steen Sigurdsson, uh, they appeared to have figured this all out and presented the necessary evidence. They created a model of the early Earth-Moon system and showed that by simply having a hot Earth near enough to a tidally locked moon, uh, just by adding that one-sided heat source, it could create the crucial uh, crustal crustal differences and the elemental chemical differences between the two sides. And explains why the far side has these lunar highlands, but the near side contains these seas. Yeah, and hmm. here's a side-by-side picture of the two sides, just to like drive home how different they look. Completely. Yeah. It's really crazy. I can't believe... Oh, that's not a moon. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like a thing that um, shouldn't be new news, you know? Yeah. I, it like fell into... didn't know I think, why that yeah, was Yeah, I think it probably now. fell into a thing where um, it was argued... Like argued and or kind of like forgotten, right? And then right. also completely taken for granted, like out of sight, out of mind to the tenth degree. Yeah, literally, like we don't see that we other side. We're not really too concerned with it mm-hmm. or how it got that way. See, no I do recommend no listeners should definitely. Um, this is one you have to see to appreciate. So do click on the link and uh, and watch that libration if that's how it's pronounced. That video is really cool too. It's a time lapse showing the slight of wobble. how much we actually get to see. Yeah, I, I can't, from our I position keep showing things that listeners can't see but see how like the edges yeah, aren't, aren't yeah. the exact same throughout the cycle like we we don't just we see 59% of it as opposed to just 50 yeah there's a slight rocking effect yeah yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of cool oh, I could watch that for a long time oh, right it's right? like rock, watching Nick Offerman drink whiskey did you guys see that video this <laughs> I week I was just at a party over the weekend that had that playing 43 minutes or something like that of him just, just drinking, drinking whiskey they just did that who did that who was responsible for that did Netflix do it no, it's like an ad. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. It's an ad for that whiskey, I think. Oh, I thought it was like the Yule Log for Netflix or something. No, I don't think so. That's amazing. Maybe I'm wrong. It's so great. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you think it was ever uh, uh, looped on itself, or do you think he was 
sitting there for no, 43 minutes there. and they recorded him. Why, I guess why wouldn't she? It wouldn't be that hard to do, right? Yeah, yeah. I think if I was being paid, whatever. Although I would say, though, I don't know if I'd be able to sit as still. Like, I would have to... Like, when I'm in a movie theater, I bet yeah. I go through a dozen different seat yeah, positions. Yeah. Different leg crossings. A lot of leg crossings. A lot what's, of leaning what's forward. What's your take on feet on public furniture, movie theater style? Just not the bottom of your shoe. Just not the as long as so if no one's in front of you, you could drape over so your calf is on top of the thing. Yeah, as long as my feet aren't touching where someone I, else I was, is going to put their. I head. feel disrespectful, but I'll do it. Especially <laughs> there are theaters that I respect more than others too. There are ones that are like uh, newly renovated. I'm like, okay, I'll give you guys. Uh, oh, there needs to be a poster of you that underneath just says, "I feel disrespectful, but I'll do it." <laughs> yeah. Um. Hey, there's two little space stories I want to add in here as well. Let's do it. Firstly, both came from listeners. Firstly, this isn't even a story. This is sort of a correction slash qualification that our friend emma wilson sent in uh emma said hey guys until last this is relating to a story we covered on a previous episode i think two episodes back we talked about gps and andy asked how many gps satellites you need for an accurate gps position uh andy guessed four uh emma said until to recently be fair it wasn't a guess but okay, okay go ahead. oh <laughs> andy said four but uh, she said until recently she worked for a major gps equipment manufacturer and learned too much about gps um she said, you do need four for an accurate GPS position, but the more satellites, the better. So a bunch of the professional-grade GPS hardware now comes with the ability to use the Russian GPS cluster, which is called GLONASS, in addition to GPS. So instead of getting seven or eight satellites, you can get 18, which has bumped up everyone's accuracy. But the government, the U.S. government, is nervous about what would happen if the Russians sabotaged their satellite cluster out of spite. So they're maintaining the U.S. cluster pretty closely. So there we go. Little extra satellite detail. Much, right, if you're getting cool. a, if if you're getting a very accurate positioning from four, how much more accurate do you need to be from eighteen? I mean, it's just an issue of uh, I guess holding the st- signal error, error correction maybe yeah. over the just like the more the more data points in anything, the better yeah. I guess just yeah. to like corroborate your your story. Um, uh, Emma also sent in a story that a few listeners sent in. That's sort of a pop psychology bit of craziness do you want to do that one or yeah not? we can do that it's it's pretty nuts um and i have a science question for you guys at some point what's too. your question this is kind of like a technological science question uh-huh when will our tvs be clear enough <laughs> that's a very good question i'm uh, and i it sounds jokey but i was i'm dead seriously was thinking this to myself yeah at, at oled 4k curved television that's perfect for living room viewing the issue isn't at a certain point it won't be about resolution it's it'll be distance about, right uh, no it'll be about like contrast ratio and things like that like because it there's more like are we t- getting close to though this is as good as it's gonna get uh i don't well no because I, I think we'll get to i think we'll get to glasses free 3d eventually okay but the but the clarity will be. be the clarity then you're not dealing with clarity matters. though in but that there's sense there's more there's more to the conversation than just uh how much than just resolution so if you want to get into that, like you really do, you might not know that you care much about things like contrast ratio, like how from the range of the blackest you can see on the screen. To I the compare brightest. completely about it. I, yeah, there's nothing I can stand important. more when a TV can't hold when the, the blacks black. are grays. Yeah, when the yeah, and it like, kind of becomes like it looks almost like a puddle. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that's the worst. But so that's important, but, and that's separate from resolution, from actual like number of pixels. But I, I'm with you, except that it bums me out that right now all the theaters have switched to digital, and I, as far as I know, there isn't a digital projection system that goes above 4K, and I don't think that is enough for a giant screen. 
Right. Like it's nowhere near even the inherent, because even film, even though it's not digital, it has an inherent if resolution not, to it. There's a grain a, to film. Right. And 35 millimeter Which some people find nostalgic and love. No, no, no. I'm saying, no, I'm saying 35 millimeter has more detail than 4K. Way more. Oh. Like if you sam- you can sample it at a much higher rate than that and still and still have valid differences in data from one pixel to the next. So it's a bummer that that's that's the standard in digital. So are you saying 4K for, is not high enough average, for me in theaters. 4K is not enough for me. Right. So for the average um theater that you're going to be going to in the country to see Star Wars Force Awakens. Yeah. Your distance from that screen and the size of that projection of the image on that screen you will see that movie better in your f- curved OLED 4K TV in your living room. That picture will be you, better in your house. It might. Now I'm trying to figure out whether you can definitely say that things like, well, yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, because like resolution-wise, it's the same. So then it comes down to which one is doing uh, things like, yeah, contrast ratio. Do better, we just or, want to get to a point where we literally can't tell if that's a window, like? Well, that's the thing is I wonder because uh, we're we're used to 24. Fr- I could go off on this for a long time, and it's good that Matt's in the bathroom to miss this. Um, <laughs> for the 24 frames per second shouldn't be a thing that we want to see in movies, but we do because we've just gotten used to it to the point right. that if we see weird-ass Hobbit shit at a high frame rate, it looks awful to us, even mm-hmm. though it's more accurate to life. But maybe the whole point is like a movie's not supposed to look like you're just some, there life. are some things that are shot that I've seen on people's TVs in their home, yeah. and they've the people who own those TVs have com- I've seen them complain like this looks because they didn't turn off that uh, frame rate interpolation thing, sure we or were, whatever we were it is. At but a friend's it, house watching Back to the Future, and he had that sixty frames thing where it 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 interpolates, so it's like it's even though the movie was only shot at twenty four, right? It's it's up upscale it like you know interpolating yeah. between frames so it can be displayed at sixty hertz. And it looks awful because it looks like video. And it looks like it's video. Clearer, the motion's clearer, but like it looks wrong. Like this, yeah. this movie looks like garbage. Like you'll watch something like uh, Rome or something like that, yeah. and it almost looks like you're watching a live theater production yeah. of something. Because like sh- I've, I've turned that off on. I, 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 it's my. It's great for sports. To, I guess yeah, but when I'm at a friend's house and that's on, like I have to bite my tongue to not grab the remote and just let me fix that for you. That's you can't, you can't. And you should ask those people. Be like, hey, do you feel but like you, your you shows like look weird? And if, if you, they no, yeah, but if yeah. they go yes, it drives me nuts. Be like, Turn here, this off. just yeah. ask them that question, Andy. Just yeah, listeners, write in. And let me know if I'm the only one who's crazy about this because I hate that smoothing effect. So like, I wonder, like, are we just trying to get to a point where our TVs look like? We're looking at something through a window. It's so right there that we're in person. And we want to look like we're in person on Game of Thrones. We want to look like yeah. we're in person for the Monday Night Football. Like when will it I don't when know. will when will the T V companies be like, This is it? This is as good as it's gonna get Which yeah. they almost can't, probably can't afford to do. They'll need right. to keep tweaking. You know what they'll do is if they do ever reach that point, they'll find another element to your viewing contrast or something right. and be like, we are now the, it's not about this, yeah, yeah. the 4K anymore or whatever the term will be. It's about this aspect. Well, it's so funny, like things like aspect ratio, where we're, there's a reason there's so many different aspect ratios is because of the battle between TV and movies. Like right. Once TV became a thing, then movies had to find a reason to keep you coming to theaters. So that's when they had that crazy like 2.35 to 1 Panavision. Mm-hmm. But then I think like, Wizard of Oz was shot in like four three. I think so. Yeah. So it's not as, it's not as if like movie theaters film was always wider aspect ratio. It just like it was a medium competition. They kept changing to make their thing different from what the opposite so between movie and TV just be was. A crystal clear narrow band across the room. 
<laughs> but, then, but no, then you have people that are getting nostalgic and making movies. Oh, I guess no one's making tall movies. Yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> no, but Tarantino, uh, the new, um, what's the new, uh, I was going to say Ridiculous Six. That's oh, the Hateful Sandler. Eight? <laughs> Hateful Eight. Um, that one, he's he's doing some crazy, like, anamorphic lens and, like, three to one aspect ratio something and he's and he's making they're making theaters retroactively bring back out film projection systems and costing theaters like hundreds of thousands of dollars they're so mad about yeah it. but he wants them all to be shown on film and they're gonna take a huge hit money-wise they all want just, 70 what's that 70 right Is that what you're saying? oh it's 70 right it's but it's not it wasn't shot it's not like 70 millimeter in terms of like imax see i, I think eventually this, we're gonna get but. even rid of the tv and it's gonna be something like in judge dread where our technological science is going to go so far that you, everything is immersive. Every single yeah, thing. Yeah. Like if you guys, I wanted to show you this. Have you guys seen Bubbly? Have no. you seen this app? No. Okay. What you do is you take a photo, okay? You start it, and then it's almost like recording, and then it, it, everything is in white. Like if I started here on the two of you, you would be in my lens, and everything around you would be white. And then I would almost have to move my phone around to paint everything else in. Oh. And then once you do that... Your phone becomes a three hundred. Oh, it's like a VR thing without you're not using glasses. It's not three dimensional, but it's it it's responds a, to the phone turning to show the whole. It's everything. Yeah. So when you stand, and I think eventually we're gonna have like, you will be on this battlefield. Yeah, in the middle of a battlefield like, on Game seen, of Thrones, and that's where you'll be sitting, and you can look any direction you want to see what's happening. That's already. Have you seen Google Cardboard yet? No. After the show, we'll do it. I'll show you. Like, we're already there. That phone has that same technology that lets the phone respond as you move it. You turn it sideways and put this cheap piece of cardboard with two plastic lenses. It has two side-by-side images for stereoscopic vision. Yeah. So you turn your head. You're in this immersive 3D thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, as soon as they get, like, first-person shooters in this, we're going to have, like, real PTSD happening to gamers. Because it's going to be too- Well, two things I'll say. One is what will happen is, is you will have to re-watch a movie. Because you were looking somewhere else right. when that guy got shot. <laughs> yeah. You'll have a completely different experience of every time you want to like yeah. watch a movie and see what's happening. The other thing is, is I saw a video where they, uh, they, they took test subjects and they had them wear VR uh, little helmet goggles things um, for porn, uh-huh. for pornography. And people... You were talking about PTSD. Even in this, people were like feeling that someone was on top oh, of them wow. or like they were, you know, getting fellatioed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was crazy to think. But yeah, I think that eventually maybe it won't be by the time our TVs hit this this optimal. You're never going to get any better in terms of, of clarity and, and, and yeah. perspective on your screen. We'll be like, well, now we're just immersive. So three, the, the entire family has six seats on the couch and everybody's watching their own thing on their head or you're trying to sync yours up to watch something together. Yeah. It's all going to change. It, I just wonder when the TV screens are going to be good enough. That's all right, I'm right. wondering. Well, when you see this, I'll show you this Google Cardboard thing and you'll be like, wow, that's, we're already pretty close. It's just that even the phone, even with a retina display, with that clarity, with those glasses, you can see pixels, but within a year or two, it'll be... And maybe even Oculus Rift has high enough resolution you don't really notice. Well, for your listeners, just say again, that's bubbly, B-U-B-B-L-I. It's a free app, yeah. and it's crazy. You can see photos. And is it is it a social, like, do you share it's those social, with other people? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know they already had that. That's impressive. Yeah, and you can go all the way around. Like, so How come that hasn't been a thing? Why isn't that huge right now or is it huge i just don't, I don't know about it. i when i first heard about it, i heard about it when i did another uh comedy uh, fun podcast called get up on this with uh uh, uh jensen carp's show oh yeah, yeah and um 
And is it Matt Williamson? I'm, I'm sorry, Matt. I just forgot your last name. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I said, this is great. If, imagine if you have kids, right? And they're like, where are you? And they're like, I'm at home. Okay, send me the image of yeah. you in our house. Mm-hmm. Completely all the way around that no one else is there. You're not having a party. You know oh, what I mean? Matt, I thought you were saying... You- <laughs> No, I'm just saying. I you it was could... the opposite direction. We're like, you're, you're, the parents are on a trip, and the kids miss them. The parents are going to send. You're like, no, fucking kids, are you at home? Prove it. <laughs> no, I just mean like, it's another thing to be like, this is where I'm at. This is every single thing around <laughs> right. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no one hiding behind me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, come on, it'd be pretty easy to fake that picture for five minutes if you got a party going. Like, pretty awesome. Out get, of the real, real get your party. To I be think quiet. you'd still be better off with that one, just getting them to FaceTime you and going like, "All right, behind the couch. Yeah, Show me yeah, the couch. yeah. You're right. Show me the cupboard." Uh-huh. That's true. You can do it right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, okay, so where Sorry. I was going with this was Emma Wilton, who wrote in about GPS stuff, uh, also wrote in with an article that a few people wrote in about a woman who was blind for seventeen years, and then one of her other personalities started to see. Now, how is that possible, man? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, it had been more than a decade since BT had last seen anything. After suffering a traumatic accident as a young woman, doctors diagnosed her with cortical blindness, caused caused by damage to the visual processing centers in her brain. So I guess it wasn't the actual eyes being damaged but um so she got a seeing eye dog to guide her and grew accustomed to the darkness and besides that she had other health problems to cope with namely having more than 10 wildly different personalities that competed for control of her body (laughs) and it was while seeking treatment for her dissociative identity disorder that the ability to see suddenly returned not to bt a 37 year old german woman but to a teenage boy she she sometimes became um, with therapy over the course of months, all but two of BT's identities regained their sight. And as BT oscillated between identities, her vision flicked on and off like a light switch in her mind. The world would appear, then go dark. It's crazy. Um, writing in Psych Journal, BT's doctors said her blindness wasn't caused by brain damage. Her original diagnosis it was instead something more akin to a brain directive, a psychological problem rather than a physiological one. And uh, BT's strange case reveals a lot more about the mind's extraordinary power, how it can control what we see and who we are. Um, so to help understand what happened, um, her doctors, who are German psychologists Hans Strasberger and Bruno Waldvogel, went all the way back to her initial diagnosis of cortical blindness. And health records showed at the time that she was subjected to a bunch of tests involving lasers, special glasses, lights shined across a room all of which demonstrated her apparent blindness. And since there was no damage to the eyes themselves, they just assumed it must have come from brain damage um, caused by her accident. The report didn't say what happened in this accident. Um, and Waldvogel had no reason to doubt the diagnosis when BT was referred to him 13 years later for treatment for dissociative identity disorder, once called multiple personality disorder. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Some of those uh, personalities even spoke different languages. Some were only in English, some only in German. That's nuts. Some in both. Um, she did spend time in an English-speaking country as a child, but lived in Germany. So it's not as if, like, yeah, sure. spontaneous, yeah. like, learning of a language. Um, and then four years into psycho- th- psychotherapy, something strange happened. Just after ending a therapy session, while in one of her adolescent male states, BT saw a word on the cover of a magazine. It was the only word she'd read visually in 17 years. And at first, her renewed sight was restricted to recognizing whole words in that one identity. If asked, she couldn't even see the individual letters that made up the words, just the words themselves. But then it gradually expanded, first to higher order visual processes like reading. Matt, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I just swallowed some water. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Matt's other personality doesn't know yeah, how to yeah. swallow water. <laughs> um, I cough off mic. 
so yeah, then she got lower level visual processes like recognizing patterns until most of her personalities were able to see most of the time. Okay, but does, when she's BT again, does she have any recollection that she could see for a while? That's what I wonder. Right. I, man, it's like, could you just talk that person into it if you said, well, I, I guess I don't even know. Because I feel like in the United States of Terra, which I know is probably the worst, maybe a horrible example. Um, Isn't but that one that probably at least tried to get it right? That's I what think, I feel or? like. So before I get yelled at, I feel like it handled the situ- the uh, condition had with respect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I feel like she had some memory of things that happened when someone else was in control. What are you supposed to do with the, are you supposed to tell a person who's like that that they have other ones or are you not supposed to tell them like not I think each personality has to be aware of it before you can talk about like get the get thing? yeah get inside baseball about it. Oh okay. But do you okay blindness is really tricky because did you guys happen to see there was a a report I cannot remember what it was. It might have been something on ESPN, although this doesn't really seem to have a sports tie-in, so I don't remember what it was. But um, it was a gentleman who taught himself uh, to get around. He was blind, been blind his whole life with the echo technique. Oh, the yeah, clicking, yeah. like, right? I've seen videos and on that guy. basically when they get into the science of this, of how does he do this, they come down to something that you guys probably know or maybe have already discussed, that we, we don't see with our eyes, we see with our brains. Our eyes just interpret just give us the information to our brain. Our brain then interprets that information right. and tells us, you think you're seeing Andy Wood. So then I see Andy Wood. Yeah. Um, Matt Kirshen, that's what it is. <laughs> so, like, you see... Oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, that's who I am. <laughs> but, like, I see Matt, So, but my brain is telling me what these shapes and what these things are. Yeah. My eyes just give it that information. So what he was actually doing was giving his brain information through sound. And then he could see shapes and see things because his brain just rewired itself to yeah. accept that information from the sounds that he heard and then process an image based off the sound. And he, it didn't matter whether or not his eyes worked because his brain, your brain is what sees things. Well, that makes sense because there's been – I remember hearing about a thing years ago. I'm sure it was a fairly well-known study where people were given uh, prism glasses that inverted their image. Oh really? You, you wear this because uh, that sounds familiar, kind of yeah. Because even in general, the um, the image you get on your eyes is upside down because your lenses flip mm-hmm. the image, yep. and they gave them glasses that were designed to reinvert it. Yeah. So it completely flipped the image they saw, and within a short amount of time, you'd reprogrammed yourself to see the right way up. So wow. people were no longer look. No, people were walking around and they no longer felt like they were look. They were upside down. Yeah. Because and, it's, because it's like your eyes are just information gatherers that yeah. your brain then sorts out and tells you what you're looking at. And in this guy, he just made his ears the information gatherer, and his yeah. brain said, "Fine, we'll we'll give you the image that you're seeing, quote unquote, seeing, based off of right. what you hear." It's just a, it's like just, your iPhone five connector. You can plug it in either, either way. <laughs> it's gonna figure out which. That's one. yeah. That's a great analogy, <laughs> Andy. A great analogy. Well, yeah, that that's makes some a lot more sense. Profound bullshit. <laughs> That's probably the best way to think about Thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah. I've won awards for my analogies. <laughs> so, yeah, this story, it's crazy. I mean, I can't believe, uh, uh, first of all, I didn't really, uh, not that I didn't believe in multiple personalities. Yeah. I guess I sort of still think it's bullshit. It's, there's some smart, small part of me that maybe that's really intolerant, but I was, you know, like. Well, like, have you ever found yourself in a mob mentality? I mean, Maybe. 
it, not even mom in the sense of needs to be negative, but whether it was a sports thing yeah, yeah, or team, team or something, based, right? Team, sure. And you sure. would almost act or think in a way that you sure. didn't. And maybe this oh, yeah. is a real poor man and ignorant way to go about this. But I think that if your brain has the capacity to split off in a way, given a scenario that you would react or talk or act in a way that you wouldn't normally do, yeah. I imagine there's people who permanently have that, that their brain has splintered into a way that's like, that isn't them and that isn't what they say and that isn't yeah. what they do. And then maybe... I don't know, you know, chicken or egg, what gets assigned first? Right. Is it the assigned of, of naming that thing and giving it, this is, you're calling the outlet, you're giving the outlet a personality or a description, mm-hmm. or did you, you know, did you kind of already feel this way and then filled it in with the splintering of your personality? Right. But our, I know our mind has the ability to do that because you see people do it where they're like, I don't know, why did I even act that way? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I like thought that or I was swept up in that and I don't care about that at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I it it, it uh I think it's so tricky that it's so individualized and self-contained that like being able to do any like hard science on it in a deep way to fully understand is probably impossible. It's just cuz like we could understand on self-reporting too much. Yeah, we understand like, like maybe broad strokes or yeah. or the existence of it. Yeah. But to be able to find some actual like point to the cells yeah. in your brain that do it or yeah, something. Yeah, or like be able to individually possible. like categorize it or deal with it and is probably varies from every single person. Yeah. I don't know. I Matt, which of your personalities have thoughts? I'm uh, I I'm looking up this the so the upside down experiment was initially done by this psychologist called George M Stratton in the 1890s. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one experiment, he wore reversing glasses for 21 and a half hours over three days with no change in his vision. After removing the glasses, normal vision was restored instantaneously without any disturbance of the natural appearance of objects. In a, late, in a, in a later experiment, Stratton wore the glasses for eight whole days. By day four, the images seen through the instrument were still upside down. However, on day five, images appeared upright until he concentrated on them. Then they became inverted again. Huh. By having con- to concentrate on his vision to turn it upside down again, especially when he knew images were hitting his retinas in the opposite direction as normal, he deduced that his brain had reprocessed his vision and adapted to the changes in his vision. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I'm also laughing because I looked, I just Google image searched this and it shows all the different contraptions that you can buy that can make your vision upside down and they all look ridiculous. I, I feel like that would make me sick. <laughs> I kind of uh, want a pair of these for Christmas. Oh, though. who doesn't? They look like something that they you look- might be wearing when you meet Martin McFly for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like a 1988 costume for the superhero Cyclops. Uh, um, and then also Googling that same thing just showed like a pair of glasses that are upside down. <laughs> those are great glasses yeah, can i ask you guys a question that you probably covered on this you're talking about like the mind and and you know its capabilities for doing things or for adjusting you've both seen the movie lucy no okay was that the uh Sauerise roseanne what scarlett johansson oh no what's the one i'm thinking of the one girl one name thing i thought it was like a uh, girl share share has one Sauerie's name Ronan. <sighs> I don't know. You're, that sounds like one of Thor's friends, the name you're trying to say. S-A-O-I-R-S-E, Ronan. Ronan was the bad guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. Hannah. I'm thinking of Hannah. I always confuse okay. Hannah and yes. Lucy. Sorry. Okay. No, so Lucy was, she gets injected with a drug and, and, and over the course of the movie reaches full capacity of her brain power. Oh, oh. that's what that's about. Okay. And that's so, right. I remember seeing that. Do you guys, is there, 
Is there concrete scientific theories on this that uh, unleashing the, the full thing? unleashing the it's full potential of your bullshit. brain could make like you can obtain like telekinesis and stuff like that? Isn't this the basis of uh, of Limitless, the Cooper one, the Bradley Cooper? Well, he one? became super smart, but oh, he didn't okay. get like the ability to move shit with his mind oh, okay. and manipulate time and but, matter. Yeah, the whole ten, using ten percent of your brain thing has been pretty widely debunked. Oh, so that's not even true. No, no. Yeah, no. no that, I don't know where that that. There is a source Didn't Einstein for that? say it? <laughs> I thought it was something associated with Einstein. Um, I, I can't remember where it person. came from. It beca- Here we go. The 10% of the brain myth. Where did it originate? Uh, it might have dated back to the reserve energy theories by Harvard psychologists William James and Boris Cetus in the 1890s who tested the theory in the accelerated raising of the child prodigy William Cetus. Uh... But it looks like it was just a number that was plucked out of thin air. Um, mm. I didn't realize that. Or it might have also arose, was. Oh, oh it, sorry, it might have come from a misunderstanding or misrepresentation of neurological research in the late 19th, 19th or early 20th century. For example, the functions of many brain regions, especially in the cerebral cortex, are complex enough that the effects of damage are subtle, leading early neurologists to wonder what these de- regions did. The brain was also discovered to consist mostly of glial cells, which seem to have very minor functions. Uh, Dr. James W. Callat, author of blah, blah, points out neuroscientists in the 1930s knew about the large number of local neurons in the brain. Uh, the misunderstanding of the function of local neurons may have led to the 10% myth. Uh, huh. uh, the myth might have been propagated simply by a truncation of the idea that some use a small percentage of their brains at any given time. Uh, but evidence shows that over a day use 100% of the brain. Yeah, suck it, Lucy and Limitless. But both movies have, like, on the poster for Lucy, it says right under Scarlett Johansson's name, the average person uses 10% of their brain capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine what she could do with 100. It's utter shit. As demonstrated by the fact that whenever anyone has, like, there's no bit of the brain that you could put a pick into and and not be seriously damaged. Phineas Gage can blow a whole uh, tamping rod through your your brain. Yeah, but he he wasn't quite fine after that <laughs> <laughs> he was just an asshole i just made him an a asshole squirrely isn't that isn't that how the story goes like so it, we don't he have wasn't it. really a, you know about this guy no phineas gage was a railroad worker in the 1800s oh and i feel like i, I might have heard thing this went story. through his brain and he survived and it just made him an asshole really but a giant giant uh let me see if there's like a there aren't pictures right is this before and that's what the cartoon phineas and ferb is based on yeah oh okay <laughs> oh yeah there's there's like a rendering of of what his skull looked like or where it went through. It's a pretty pretty serious bit of uh, damage there. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of important. right That's through his head. That's frontal lobe area, right? Yeah. yeah. It goes through his head in a way that should mean you're dead. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't realize there were portraits of him. I mean, uh, actual photographs. Like old-timey photographs? Like we get down that on the boardwalk? That one you're looking at. Yeah, that's, that's Phineas. Handsome, man. Yeah, he actually is very good looking. Um... So we can't all unlock telekinesis. No, I'm sorry, I don't think no. that's... Uh, no, sorry. Not yet. For the listener at home, I'm trying. <laughs> you guys, I remember after I saw um, Star Wars for the first time, or I guess Empire Strikes Back, when he's upside down mm-hmm. in the ice cave, Like I genuinely thought if I just tried hard enough I could get that oh. to happen. Oh, we've like, talked about this yeah, on the we show as well. Like, like, we've talked cool. on the yeah, show not about to how me, And maybe there's a new listener. As an idiot, I think eleven year, something like ten or eleven year old, I got a book from the library written by Yuri Geller, and for about 
for a half a day afterwards, I was trying to get my youngest sister, my little sister, who was sufficiently young that she wouldn't have been, uh, <laughs> she wouldn't have been sullied by the cynicism mm-hmm. of yeah. older people. Yeah. So she wouldn't, she, she wouldn't know that you can't do things. Right. She wouldn't, she wouldn't be aware that the human body isn't like we get told that we can't bend things right. with our and minds. We have to clear that we out. We have to get rid of that. Most right, people right. can't even to get rid of that. But a stuff. child who's that young does she, she doesn't know. She has no idea. Yeah. Sorry, I just remember spending about an hour trying to get her to bend a spoon oh or make something happen. Didn't work. I guess she I guess she'd been too sullied already. She I remember I remember being like fresh. nine and ten years old being so excited for puberty. Because I hoped that my X-Men power would reveal itself when I was somewhere. But I remember, you know, 15, 16, still a part of me being like, it could show up late. It's gonna it come could in. show it's gonna come up late. In. Is that how the storylines usually go? Is that, that there's they're, an they're all, Yeah, they... your, your powers are uh, come out during pu- puberty. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> Which was like a great commentary. thing for kids to read. Yeah. Like, and good, it made, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I didn't know there, I there's one so time, much going on in X Men, isn't there? Oh, there's like the that's Malcolm why those X are so and, uh, and um and uh, Martin Luther King analogy, right? Yes. There's tons of that. Like Spider Man was the first superhero with like real problems. Like a like a hard life. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that they revolutionized all that stuff. I remember one time, guys, I shit you not. I I'll go to my dying day saying this. I woke up once in a half sleep half dream i was awake mm-hmm. and i had been having a dream that i was walking down a hallway and i was angry and with my mind was just you know i would flail my arm and i would send things down the hallway boxes just yeah. pictures off i was could just telekinesis just moving things with my with my mind and um i woke up laying in bed i'm still awake yeah. I'm obviously in some sort of a dream state though but i'm aware and i thought I could get up right now and start moving things with my mind. <laughs> I'm too tired. I'm going to go back to sleep. <laughs> but I felt like what you were trying to get your sister to be, I felt like that completely zoned in to the most fine point yeah. of nothing in my mind, no doubt, complete clarity. State, man. Yeah, complete, state. like Neo, like I could yes. stop bullets. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, everything yeah. had gone. I had stripped away all the cynicism to come back all the way around. So but I, and I'd just been like, no, I could. I could get up right now and start moving shit with my mind. And I yeah. 100% still believe I could do it. And you're just like, I'm just too tired. Uh, it's like I'm I woke up with a cure for cancer last night, I'll but I was like, later. I need a couple more Zs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to sleep, guys. Yeah. Have you ever woken up, though, and scribbled a joke that you thought of in your dream? Oh my God. And then looked yes. at it the next the morning, worst. and it's just drivel it's just it's off. oh you're lucky if it's even a sentence i've tried that for a song too i, th- I was like I, I was humming or heard a song in my dream and then i woke up i was like wait that that's no one's song that means it's my song and i was like did it as a voice memo and then listened by it so i was like no it's not a good song like the, <laughs> just, the melody at least i was like this is interesting it's like, no it's not interesting it's a my, melody. my notes the next morning i normally look at them and it'll say something like buckets near swans not yeah. half <laughs> it's just yeah, all you right. Do. Well, thanks for that, sleep mat. <laughs> Fucking sleep mat. Um, sleep, like sleep I, Kershen, Matt Kershen. <laughs> I'll admit this here. I've gone back and look at my notes uh-huh. of when I've done this and made notes, and then I keep them around because I have no clue what I was thinking. I wrote little hand syndrome. Tons of insert shots of little hand, little hands doing adult things. I don't. What did I, I like that? I, what, like I don't that. know what I was thinking. 
And then I, that I Chris, wrote that Kristen Wiig character. Male penis prosthetic, but we treat it like we're selling scarves or swords, <laughs> and the dicks are blurred the entire time for comedic effect. <laughs> for comedic <laughs> effect. I thought this was gold, guys. <laughs> Wait, is it like a QVC thing? Like it's uh, What is it, Andy? <laughs> You know, you tell me. I just made these notes. Also, you know the way people sell scarves or swords? <laughs> you know that uniform sales technique? Oh, man, I don't know. I, Simon Brudeck, a teaser feature presentation. Shotgun on the poster. Walking a guy around by his dick. <laughs> Working title, series of stunts on the motorbike. That was me. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Do you actually sleep type these? I don't know when I wrote this. January 18th, 2014. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And I'll never let them go because... Why would you ever let that go? Well, so, also, now you said it and it's recorded. So if anyone else does those yeah, ideas, it's like it to that is a date stamp. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, man. I, I've got a whole bunch of these, but I don't know what to do with them. Jeez. Do you want to do a satellite story? Sure, we should probably wrap it up after that. But yes. yeah, this oh. is sent into the website. Uh, or we'll post all these links to the website. Hey, you know what else is on the website? Yeah, Andy? what is? Uh, the donate button. That's true, and we got a bunch of people who have set up monthly donations. Thank you for doing that. That so, makes it that makes it easy. You don't have to think about it; it just happens. So yeah, money some, just comes to us. Some very uh, generous people. Um, yeah, Linda Moulton, in particular. That's that's, that's a, a very damn, generous mo- damn monthly generous donation. Monthly. Extremely. Um, Madison Martinez has one set up. John Waltz, Matthew Arnold, Justin Broad. Brooks. That's also generous, Justin. Yes. These yes. are great people. Do they come out Brooks, to live shows over and you Brooks get to Gilmore? meet them? I have met... I'm sorry, say Brooks' name. I talked over sorry, it. Sorry, Brooks wanna... Gilmore, Ben Marriott, and Paolo sent one in. I presume that's Paolo Saez Navarro. And Anderson Jones. They're all the monthly ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've met a few. We've met various listeners. That's so great. And it's so great they're invested in the show. Those are good fans. You guys are good people. Yeah, and Aww. we've had some one-off donations from um, uh, Knitted Widow, Win- window. 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 Knitted window. Either one was Less awesome. Yeah, yeah. Either way, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, and Joseph Stewart as well. Thank you very much, Joseph. Two Australians there. Oh, and uh, I missed some at the bottom there. We also have some donations from uh, Stuart Holding and Arthur, I'm going to guess Wyckoff or Wickoff? Sure. W-Y-C-K-Off. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, all of you, for donating. You can go to probablyscience.com and click on the PayPal button and donate or even set up a monthly donation also, it's uh, the holidays are coming around. You're probably going to be doing some shopping. If you're doing any of that via Amazon, why not click through our Amazon link first? And you get, it costs you no extra. We get a little kickback. Uh, we have links set up for the Canadian, Australian, and... Sorry, not the Australian. There is no Australian one, but the Canadian, British, and American Amazon stores. Uh, set that as your bookmark. Set that link as your yeah, bookmark on your browser, and then you don't have to remember. You just start typing in Amazon, and it'll autocomplete with our link. Um, and that helps us out. And the other way you can really help us out if you're not able to donate and you're not shopping on Amazon is just to spread the word, tell people, um, write nice things about us on iTunes, rate us, review us, and tweet and Facebook and all those kind of good things. So that helps us out as well. We very much appreciate it. Uh, and you can send us stories to uh, probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet us at probablyscience. And Justin Broad... We haven't had a Justin story yet this week. Justin, who sends in a lot of stories. Um, hey, uh, the Japanese uh, Akatsuki probe enters Venus orbit after an inspired hack. 
I like this story just for resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so a damaged satellite that missed its rendezvous with Venus was finally sent into orbit around the planet yesterday, five years late, almost exactly, after mission controllers came up with a successful hack to get it back on course. On the 21st of May, 2010, the Japanese space agency, JAXA, launched the satellite to study Venus's atmosphere. Researchers hoped that the mission would reveal, amongst other things, why the planet's surface is subject to extreme winds at up to 400 kilometers an hour. But disaster struck when, satellites, uh, when the satellite attempted to fire its thrusters... And instead of entering into orbit around Venus, it cruised off into space and wound up traveling around the sun. Uh, later analysis suggested the thruster nozzles had been damaged, causing a safety valve to cut in before it had properly changed course. So after the ne- over the next few years, they tested the various thrusters and found the main ones to be unusable. So they came up with a last-ditch strategy for a second attempt. On October, um, In October 2011, a year and a bit later... They dumped all the fuel from the broken thrusters, making the satellite lighter. Then they used secondary altitude control thrusters, which are right, inti- attitude. attitude. I apologize. Uh, they're intended to orient the probe to put it back on course to rendezvous with Venus in 2015. And on Monday, that happened. After firing its secondary thrust thrusters for a full 20 minutes, Akatsuki appears to have gone into orbit around Venus. It'll take a few days to probably pin down the orbit. They expect to release an update. Um, they probably already have released an update because this story was a day and a bit ago. Um, oh no, it was the eighth. So no, this is a new story. We won't have. You'll have us. You'll have an update by the time you hear this episode. Um, and they don't know if it might have been damaged by the heat from being as close as it was to the sun. Yeah. Um, so they decided to attempt it now instead of next year, even though the later date would have put the satellite into a better orbit. Um, if it's successful in getting into an orbit, it'll be our only study to opportunity to study Venus from orbit for the next few years. Uh, says Jeremy Bailey from the University of New South Wales. Uh, Since the European Venus Express orbiter ends its mission in 2014, we've not had any probes gathering data from Venus's atmosphere. It could yield insights into what the Earth might be like in a billion years or so when the greenhouse effect could have run away and the sun's output may be higher than today. On Earth, if you took all the carbonate rocks out and put all that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you'd basically get Venus, says Bailey. So, you know, like, not our children... Or our children's children. But maybe. But, you know, what, how many generations <laughs> a billion years is now? That's what they're going to be dealing with. And it's good to know. I think it's so cool. How far in advance do you reckon humans are going to survive? Because a billion years, then something's going to happen. Of the course. chance of something. Yeah, yeah. The chance of humans still existing in I'd a billion years. I'd say we live less than 2,000 more years. Really? Mm-hmm. You think that's, and that's probably from some a man-made reason that we Ooh, died yeah, by yeah, then? Yeah, yeah, uh, I bet we make it. Man, I haven't On thought about this much. Man, I haven't thought about this. I feel like anything that I say could be um, instantly disproven and sound dumb. If um, we make it past 2000, we're not, I don't feel like we're going anywhere, or we'll be on another planet living there. I but, mean, I guess that's the question, is if, if, if like a handful of people get to leave and repopulate somewhere else does that count as surviving if yeah. other billions die or, but actually i don't even think it's i don't think that long term yeah, I, I don't think other planets are even a, a salute our thing that's ever going to be more than a few exploratory missions i don't think there's ever a no reason but we to could try be to, living somewhere on something somewhere else this is I a thing I, I, I don't know if i think that. what i ask you is about that though remember how i mean we don't remember but we're knowledgeable on the fact that we had this huge race with Russia 
yeah. to be on the moon. Whether or not that actually happened is an entire <laughs> other story. But we, but nonetheless, the sentiment was real. Yeah. Of we got to be there before them, right? right? right. Uh-huh. Well, we got to produce the movie before then. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And uh, like the Japanese have this satellite up because independent of what we do as America or what uh, Europe, uh, not Europe, but like what England does or um, <clears throat> uh, I guess I should say Great Britain, but any of those things are independently trying to have their own scientific study of space, right? Right, right, right. And I think I'm from Rochelle, Illinois. If I meet somebody from another place in Illinois, they want to know what town. If I meet someone in California, they're fine if I just say Illinois. And if I meet someone in another country, they're usually fine if I just say American. Yeah. Whoever, whatever advances we make into space, it's just a human doing it. Like we are, anything that we would ever encounter or come with outside of this planet, we're all, we're representing all of us. We're all doing it. And I mm-hmm. wonder when eventually we're going to get to a point where we have a global scientific i know there's a community but an effort where it's literally everyone is together that the knowledge and the technology that the japanese can bring and the italians can bring and the americans and the canadians uh, and the spanish just working together to be like this is the next thing we're all trying to explore to get to mars does happen to an extent Uh, the international space station is a collaboration but but then there are weird there are weird political divides still like, within the space station. Like, this would, is the Russian area, this yeah. is the American yeah. area, and they don't... Would you care if Russia put a man on Mars before we did? I... Well, I mean, I'm, I don't have a horse in this race anyway if no, it is between you, the UK and... But you're on we. You're... Uh, no, I don't. Would you? Actually, now that you say it, I guess I wouldn't really care. You would feel yeah. like we went... We got there right, as a right. race, as a people, as an advanced yeah. society, I mean, a world. Well, I think we first... We got there. I don't particularly value patriotism i i don't i think it's a fairly ludicrous conceit so that in that sense i wouldn't necessarily as much anyway as the next person but then also that you could argue that whichever nationality and it probably will be a collaboration anyway when we do get to mars it might as well but be. Yeah, it, it almost certainly will be, will be. Yeah. but um but whatever nationality the first person to set foot on the planet is it'll still be a result of a collaboration of technologies mm. that are the result the human of human mind. Yeah, that also are the product of many, many countries. You're not, you're not going to get anyone to Mars hope without so. using technology that is at the very least based on and most likely built by a multitude sure. of countries. Yeah, because I don't, I just don't. We never. I don't think, and hopefully we're beyond it. That as we do get closer to this possibility becoming a reality, that we don't need to get into the thing where like we're competing with the Japanese right, and the Russians right, right. and vice versa versus and everyone. It's like. Guys, we're just, we're all trying to go there. Yeah. The human mind and the ability to create or advance or create technology and science will have gone far enough to put a man on Mars. And who the hell does that? That's not relevant. Yeah. yeah. Like, we we will have done it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I always go back to The Simpsons when... Which- there was a one, I think it was a Treehouse of Horror, or maybe it wasn't, but the, you know, the two alien Can guys? Yes. Yeah. And one of them said uh, they were the first race to kill themselves. And I was like, yeah, that's so poignant. Like, we don't, we view it as like, we're just doing this together. But if there was a whole other galaxy or we viewed it in like a larger sense, we'd be like, hey, man. Don't kill us. We're a thing. Right. right, right. <laughs> like, don't kill each other off. We just need common enemy. We just need something yeah. out in space to hate. Well, I'm hope- well, with Transformers Dark Side of the Moon, <laughs> we almost got there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, uh, but yeah, I don't care who gets there. If we do it as a person or as a, as yeah, a group of yeah, people, yeah. then we've done it. Dan, where can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Daniel Van Kirk. Instagram at Daniel Van Kirk. MySpace at Daniel Van Kirk. Bubbly? Uh, bubbly, yeah, I'm on there. I don't and your podcast? Uh, I'm on a few. Uh, I do a lot of reoccurring appearances on Doug Loves Movies. And then I co-host Sclarbro County with the Sklar Brothers. That comes out every Tuesday. I believe you both have been on it. Am I wrong? I have not yet. But well, then you're going to be. Yeah, 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 we tried to get yeah. you on. You were super busy at the time. We'll come back to that uh, and get you on for sure. But um, that comes out every Tuesday. It's a fun podcast. And then I have my own podcast called um, Hindsight. And that is on the Doll Network. You've both been guests on that. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, comedians bring three photos from any chapter of their life. We talk about the context of their life when that photo was taken. And then last and least frequently, um, I do a show, The Wahlberg Solution, live at UCB. It comes out every couple of months. And that's podcasted on the Earwolf Network as right. well. And that's one you don't, you just, you produce that show and then Mark Wahlberg is the... 100%. Yeah, but you that, you help facilitate that, right? Yeah, so I'll also like hand out flyers and stuff. He lets me do a little bit with it. So yeah, those are the things that I keep busy on, and I'm sure my MySpace is still out there somewhere. If anybody wants to go check it out, is your guys' <laughs> MySpace too? Yes, it's got a weird URL. I'm too, on record as saying I want to do a comedy show where I bring up comedians oh and we God. open up their yes. MySpace and just my get MySpace. Into it. Yes. That was when I was on Last Comic Standing, so I got five thousand MySpace. Yeah, friends. Uh, but your top eight. Uh, who's in your top eight? What dude, song is still playing? Do this now before someone it? else does this. Do this now. <laughs> this, will. Is this is the time. I went into mine. A lot of things have changed. I, re yeah. I did it this summer. I went into it. a lot of things have changed. But it is a time capsule. You can see every song you ever put on there. You can still see who's in your top eight. The pictures that you haven't looked at that you put up there ten years ago. Those are still there. Oh, I just went to Friendster.com and I was optimistic, but it just says Friendster is taking a break. Damn it. Oh. But MySpace. Okay. It's, MySpace is yeah. still going strong. Yeah. So, yeah, that's out there too if people want to check it out. Other than that, um, check out my sketch show, DVK, which is on the Nerdist Network and their YouTube channel, and you can see me doing characters and sketches there. Do it. Um, we are at probablyscience.com and at probablyscience, and then we are individually at Andy T. Wood and Matt Kirshen on the Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, and Jesse Case, and also check out Jesse vs. Cancer, our sister podcast. It's fantastic. Uh, and Jesse's cover of uh, Daft Punk song at the end of the last episode was outstanding. It was yeah. so cool. He did it like with all the original sample. Like, he did a note-for-note recreation of digital love oh really Punk. oh that's that sounds he's awesome. a man who commits to things yeah. took a product <laughs> or projects rather so check out jesse uh, versus cancer check that out uh as always corrections comments clarifications you can email us at probably science and tweet us at probably science uh probably science at gmail.com rather uh write nice things about us on itunes donate via the donate button on probably science.com that is also where we post all of our stories that we cover all of the links to that and uh, subscribe if you're not already subscribing spread the word tell your friends write nice things about us have a great week and we will see you next time thank you so much Dan Kirk thank you yeah.